Welcome to the Filmed Live Musicals Podcast, a podcast about stage musicals that have been legally filmed and publicly distributed. The Filmed Live Musicals website contains information on nearly 200 musicals that have been captured live. Check it out at filmedlivemusicals.com. And now, on with the show. Welcome to episode 23 of the Filmed Live Musicals Podcast. I'm your host, Louisa Lyons, and joining me today is Jess Ryan, actor, director, writer, and founder and CEO of Broadway Unlocked, a company dedicated to pushing the boundaries of theater beyond the footlights. Founded in 2013, Broadway Unlocked creates live digital shows and experiences, including premieres, galas, and fundraising events. They also host weekly chats on Clubhouse, a live audio-only app. Sister company All Together Now designs digital venues for live events. And Jess is also the host of Take Me to Coffee, a mentorship podcast for the digital age. Welcome, Jess. Hey, thanks. I just got exhausted listening to that. <laughs> it is very extensive. When, so when do you sleep might be my first question. <laughs> I know. I actually, I'm very... Um, Weirdly enough for how busy I am, I'm very dedicated to making sure I sleep enough, which is probably how I get all that done, you know? (laughs) It's so exciting. My first question, though, is what made you fall in love with theater? Oh, my gosh. So I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, I was a dancer. So I... I I found this out like way later. My parents didn't tell me, but I started when I was three and I was apparently just the like absolute worst kid in the class. And they tried to get me to quit and I just like wouldn't quit. So the stubborn runs deep and long in my um, personality. And I ended up becoming like a, I was a studio kid, like six days a week, five hours a night dancing. And in the summers, so that was like literally all I did, right? Nothing else but dance. But in the summers, when I was in elementary school, we would go down to Arkansas for a couple of weeks because my grandparents would watch us and my parents would go take a like lake vacation or something. And my grandparents were both actors and they did theater in uh, Northwest Arkansas. And I used to go to rehearsals with them. I'd get to go to rehearsals. Like they were doing Fiddler on the Roof one summer at Actors Theater of the Ozarks, I think it was called. Yeah. And like they had albums, right? So I like remember sitting and watching rehearsal of Fiddler and then going home and like pouring over vinyls, you know, and listening to these musicals. And my dad had done musicals in college, which I knew a little bit about, like he had done a couple of like Jesus Christ Superstar and stuff like that. So that's like really where it started for me. And I decided to quit dance when I went into high school because I had a choice, you know, I was either keep dancing or get to do some theater for the first time. And I chose theater and that's where it just all took on a life of its own from there. (laughs) So you, you basically went to theater camp with your grandparents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then help them memorize lines too. <laughs> oh, that's so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. What production do you remember seeing first? I think it was that Fiddler on the Roof production. Yeah. And I remember I saw my grandfather was in The Man Who Came to Dinner. I remember seeing that. And I think George Washington Slept Here. That's a play, mm. I believe. I remember somewhere in the cobwebs of my mind seeing that. And then they worked on, I don't think they were in this because it was when they were starting to like stop doing theater because memorizing lines was getting harder for them, but was around for a really fun production of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown that blended generations, actually. Like, yeah, so there were like two new guys oh. that had moved 
down to that area because that's where Walmart is headquartered. So like there were two young guys that were in the cast who I became friends with because I think I was in high school by the time this happened. But then there were some older folks from the Village Players, which was the theater group that my grandparents were in in it too. And it was awesome. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Oh, that's so beautiful. You're a good man. Charlie Brown is one of my favorites. It's such a it's sweet such a show, show. Great music. Yeah. And then the uh, there's another version of the same show, Snoopy, with three exclamation yeah. marks. Yes. And it's just, I, I played Snoopy in college. And Amazing. I just, very, very big feelings for that show. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I love the idea of an intergenerational production. Oh, my gosh. I also, like, random aside, got to um, choreograph a production with high schoolers uh, many years ago in Jersey, actually. And that was really special, too, to just be able to actually do it with, you know, younger kids who re- who don't have to put the act on to play the younger kids. It was it was pretty awesome. So funnily enough, this is a perfect segue into the work <laughs> that you're doing now. Uh, your good man, Charlie Brown, is has been for show share on Broadway on Demand. It was one of their most produced shows over the pandemic. Oh, really? It's, it's one of the most popular titles. So, oh, that's I, so cool. Yeah. So that leads me to what drew you to digital theater. So I was driven to digital theater actually because of the cause that I spend my time advocating for. In 2011 or something like that, I had a friend who was like had really aggravating symptoms that he didn't understand. He was like passing out in public places and like having anxiety attacks and all stuff. And he went to the Actors Fund, which is, you know, this amazing place here in New York where we can get healthcare as actors or people in the entertainment industry if we don't have insurance. And um, they ended up referring him to a place called Crime Victims Treatment Center because he's a survivor of childhood sexual assaults. And they, CVTC, which is the acronym for them, they provide free treatment and services for survivors of violence, which is incredible because, like, especially for actors, like, it sh- if you should be uh, allowed to access, you deserve treatment, whether you can afford it or not. And we all know that therapy and all of that stuff is expensive. So... Avery went there for a year. His name was Avery. His name, his name is Avery. And uh, he, they saved his life. And he started telling some of our other actor friends about it. And like, all of a sudden, I found out all of these colleagues and collaborators and friends of mine were survivors. A lot of them got treatment at CBTC. And so Avery asked me if I would help create a concert to raise some money for a coloring table for like kiddos while their parents are in treatment. And I was like, yeah, yeah, like, I think we could do something bigger than that. <laughs> so um, I sort of went to work, like, gathering all of my friends and colleagues and making a benefit concert. As we all know, these happen every Monday night in New York, right? They're, they're pretty straightforward. It was amazing. We raised, like, $35,000. And, like, I was 28 or something like that at the time. So, like, it's not like we knew people with money. You know what I mean? That was, like, a really big feat for us. But to get to the digital theater point, two years into that, as I was coming out of basically the end of 2012, I had done it twice. And I was like, I can't, I have all these incredible people I know, and they're all showing up to perform and tell magical stories. And in this evening, like the thing we're putting on is incredible, but I can't grow this because I don't know enough rich people. And there's like this weird thing with the folks that were giving, they're of a they were of a different generation and that generation like has a lot of shame around surviving violence. And so like we would get anonymous checks and stuff like that. Cause they didn't want people to know their family had been impacted by violence. And while we were really grateful for that money, it makes it hard. Like the models hard. Cause like 
those people that write big checks are supposed to tell their friend, other friends who can write big checks that they should care about this cause and come. So it was like not working. And I was sitting in a parking garage at LAX waiting for my boyfriend at the time in like January of 2012 or December of 2012. And uh, I was listening to the Kickstarter podcast because at that time everything was very fresh and they were talking about video games and the way video games had sort of revolutionized the use of Kickstarter by engaging the community that donated to help make decisions about the the constructing the game so they could influence levels and colors and like all this stuff. Right. They were tying stretch goals basically to that kind of stuff. And I was sitting in this parking garage and I was like, Oh, Holy shit. Well, there's a whole like community of people on the internet who like desperately want to be a part of what we do on Monday nights in New York or, you know, any kind of show. They're also the generation that doesn't have any shame about talking about this kind of stuff. Right. They're the internet generation. And we could make them a part of the show. Like if I'm asking them to donate, we could make them a part of the show. So why don't we live stream this and make it interactive Mm. and thank God it never considered like occurred to me that maybe I couldn't do that. (laughs) I was just like, of course I'm going to live stream the show and make it interactive with people all over the world in 2013. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, the long and short is that like, that's really how I came to digital theater was like recognizing there were, this community of folks who wanted to be a part of what we do, that the technology was there. It was early days in 2013. Like we were making Google Hangouts, like hacking Google Hangouts to do things. But, um, and then creating like a show that let everyone be a part of it. That didn't just leave the digital audience to sort of be a second class citizen, right? They were just as important a part of it as our in-person audience in New York. And that was, that was like this huge turning point for me because we did it and it was amazing. We raised a ton of money and now, you know, thousands of views and people, we, one year we had kids hosting from all around the world. It, like just the way we were able to bring everyone together um, sort of just yeah, revolutionized the way I thought about theater. Wow. This is so interesting. It's like a very, a very unconventional way of getting into mm-hmm. into digital theater. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious, having grown up outside of New York, as you were growing up and like listening to cast albums and you know participating at your grandparents' theater, were you ever watching theater on screen, or even when the internet came around, were you ever watching theater on the internet? I'm like, I I frequently say I'm like just at the tippy top of the generation. Like I'm probably a little old, too old. So I never did. I didn't grow up with YouTube. So no, like internet wise, not until I was in my thirties and like doing this work. Um, Once I discovered, you know, I was like, oh my God, for all the technology and social media is awful. Sometimes it's also such an, YouTube is extraordinary for creators, right? And some of these other platforms, so yeah, so I came to YouTube late, but it was like very impressed. Like I was like, oh my God, this is incredible for creators. Like it empowers people to be their own distribution and like, because I, I hate gatekeeping. But no, I didn't watch a ton of YouTube growing up. I did watch movie musicals all the time, of course, right? Like as a dancer, I was like watching Summer Stock and all, you know, everything that Fred Astaire ever did, I could get my hands on. <laughs> um, but I'm like in that tippy, I'm 40 this year. So I'm like in that tippy generation where I'm, young enough to have the technology and to be really, really fluent in it, but just old enough that I didn't actually grow up with it. Like I had a typewriter, an electric typewriter in fifth grade, which is insane. (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy in our lifetimes. I'm only a few years younger than you, but it's crazy 
how like I remember going to an exhibition when I was about 10 and it was called Beyond 2000. (laughs) (laughs) It was about how technology was going to impact our lives. And one day that our fridge would have a computer and that one day everything would be touchscreens. And like there were like prototype touchscreens at this exhibition. And now we like have these like super powered computers in touchscreen computers in our pockets. Like it's so crazy how that development has happened literally in our lifetime. Like the the speed, um, the acceleration of the technology has been crazy and it's yeah. allowed for so much. So you didn't watch like uh, like Broadway shows on VHS or anything like that? Mm, no, I'm trying to think. No, not really. Um, or on PBS. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I guess maybe sometimes when they were on, but I don't have strong memories of uh, like, I don't have strong um, memories of that. So how did Broadway, so you, you had this, um, the fundraiser for the, um, can you remind me the name of the organization? CVTC, Crime Victims Treatment Center. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then what led you to create Broadway Unlocked? It's funny enough, the, the concert was called Broadway Unlocked the first mm-hmm. year. That's I was like, what do I call this thing? Jeez Louise. Um, and I was like, oh, Broadway Unlocked seems like a good, I don't know, some, somewhere I got to that. Um, and over the course of the year between the 2013 concert and the 14th concert, it was actually my, that boyfriend at the time we were having a co- we were in LA and we were having a conversation. He was like, I think there's more here than just this concert. Mm. Um, and so I ended up renaming the concert, the give back concert and creating Broadway unlocked. And, and because like, I was just, you know, I'm it was like an actor and a director and was a bartender at the time. It's not like I had a ton of resources, so I just kind of kept it a brand instead of like a full-blown company and was just sort of pretty crafty about keeping on my feet and being able to try a bunch of stuff. And um, yeah, started working at that intersection of technology and theater under that Broadway Unlocked brand in, yeah, to, uh, somewhere in 2013-14. And so can you explain to folks who might not have seen your work yet what kind of work you were doing? Yeah. Do you want like back then or across the time? Yeah. Let's start. Let's have a brief history and, and yeah. going into now. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, so I'm like a huge technologist. Like uh, people joke often that I'm a serial beta tester. Um, I, I'm often on like the first person on a new piece of technology. I love to try stuff. And so of course, like the give back concert was the constant. We we're trying all of this technology and these different ways to bring people together across these years of doing this concert. Um, and somewhere, I think it was like right after the first give back concert is when, wait for this callback, Meerkat launched. I don't know if you recall, um, but it was sort of the predecessor. What, what yeah. is Meerkat? <laughs> it was the predecessor to Periscope. Like it came out, it, it hit the market right before Periscope did, which was now a Twitter product, Yeah. Um, which maybe they sunsetted this summer, but um uh, it was it allowed you to live stream from your phone, which now sounds stupid, right? But like at the time, you couldn't do that. Like you literally wasn't built into Facebook. Like you couldn't do that. And so I picked Meerkat and Periscope up super fast and was like going down to, you know, go see my friend Joey Contreras play at Rockwood and live stream it from my phone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I remember that was the first thing I experimented with outside of the Get Back concert. And over the years, we ended up making, we did about a year of a really, a show I'm really proud of called The Breakdown, which was a Sunday morning news show as discussed by artists from all over the country. 
because I at the time was like really frustrated with how much yelling there was on TV and I was like mm-hmm. the world would be a better place if artists talked about this <laughs> amen <laughs> yeah <laughs> so that was a live stream show and it was the first time I had ever used um I was a really early user on stage 10 which is an incredible piece of cloud-based live switching um software that I still use to this day um, so that that was a show that was totally live switched by us on our computers with like a combination of pre-recorded, like a proper TV, you know, intro, live guests from all over the country um, and digital pieces. Uh, and then this year, Broadway Unlocked has been, as you might guess, working exclusively at the intersection of live um, live shows, uh, remote, all remote digital live shows on the Internet um, for an amazing incredible organizations from the Paul Taylor dance company to the Guthrie theater to the Philadelphia orchestra to Glimmer Boss opera it's just been a wild wild year of collaborations which is pretty cool that is so exciting I'm very curious what we, we talked briefly about how the technology has like rapidly changed in the past mm-hmm. uh you know 10 20 years and you mentioned Meerkat and Periscope. What have been the biggest changes in the past decade or so uh, when it comes to oh, wow. streaming and, and digital theater? You know, I, I, I wonder, I have this interesting perspective, maybe untraditional perspective on it. I think because, you know, back to like Jess did not uh, think that maybe she couldn't live stream a show back in 2013. We just mm-hmm. got really lucky and we ended up at the green space um, mm. through a recommendation from someone, which is WNYC's spot downtown in Tribeca. And it even back then was like so ahead of its time. I can't even, it's kind of flabbergasting because it's like they had a studio with a five camera install um, plus one handheld and it all went into live switching software. There was nothing else like it. Like I remember going to 54 below that first year because I thought, oh, this venue's new. It might be cool. And they were like, oh, we'd love to do this. And they're like, oh yeah, no, we, we don't even have fast enough internet to consider this much less like, you know, be outfitted the way green space was. But that's all to say that we started so high end. Like we, that concert was in HD, right? Like it's gotten better. Mm-hmm the quality obviously, but that concert was in HD and it was switched just like a TV studio. So for me, actually what I think has changed most is the tools that bring other people from other locations into broadcasts, into live broadcasts. Hmm. That's where I've seen the most growth, the most evolution um, and certainly the most iteration. Cause like I said, back in 2013, we were, excuse me, we were bringing people on via Google Hangouts, which was not even Meet yet. It was Hangouts. And then routing it into the um, live switching software, mix minusing, right? So that you could, like I on stage hosting, could see like the students from Missouri State University that won uh, uh, funding like a raise money challenge. I could see them. I could talk to them, but like none of us got feedback loops because we're routing the audio through all of these I mean, it was just like, yeah, like hacking this together. And now, I mean, you know, I, there's like, 
even my podcast, like my tiny podcast mixer, um, my little pod track, my road has like a mix minus, button. all you have to do is press a button now. Right. And I don't have to worry about anybody coming in from the digital side, hearing mm. feedback echoes and things like that. And there's software like Wirecast and vMix that allows all of these people to join really easily from all over the world. And, and there's live streaming software you can run off a computer where you don't need servers. It's insane. That's truly extraordinary. It's it it makes it so much more accessible for like the regular person or small th- small theater companies and community theater companies totally. to to access all of this technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's we are sort of that case in point in some ways, right? Because like I said, we didn't have any money, we didn't have any budget. I was like, what's on the internet that I can use? <laughs> Let me Google this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One oh one. Yeah, yeah. In the industry, there's like a perception that technology and streaming and digital theater is going to kill live theater. Do you think that has shifted over the past decade or so? Do you have another hour to talk about this? Jesus Christ. Here's what I think. I think this is pretty fascinating. I, I, I actually would love to see someone write some kind of paper history of this too, of the psychology of all this. Mm. So you know, I, I think the big bad wolf tale, right. And maybe it was true at some point was like, Oh, we can't do theater on the internet because my movie rights are going to get messed up. Like if you, I'm, I'm simplifying, but like that was really at the core of this belief that just justified. No, no, we don't put theater on the internet for a really long time. There's other stuff at play, but like, again, for, simplification sake it was like i can't mess up my movie rights my chance of the movie rights Hmm. um and that sort of like led to right this institutionalized idea that like you can't it we're gonna get cream like we're gonna destroy the theater if we put things (laughs) on, on video um that aren't licensed or on youtube or whatever it is but my perspective has always been like even with the get back concert I was saying this back in 2013. I was like, I I have a BFA in tap dancing, basically. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) But like, I know enough about economics to understand and supply and demand that if I only have 120 seats at the green space and I have thousands of seats online, those seats at the green space are more valuable. And ultimately that's always been what like I want to do is make theater more valuable. I think that extending the opening for people to be a part of what we're doing makes the in-person more valuable across, mm-hmm. you know, decades and decades. So um, do I think that like people have become more amenable to it? Like certainly I, but what I will say from this last year, my opinion about it is that I actually, sometimes I get a little horrified when I'm thinking about the events of this last year, because I, I actually think, had COVID not hit, I, I don't think we would have gotten here in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. I think we would have kept eating the lies as an industry, right? Mm-hmm. And saying like, and having like kind of the Broadway HD, like, okay, we're going to do this really cumbersome licensing model and film, you know, the shows that can be filmed that have a budget for it. But I think that might've been it. I think, I think we would have never been able to do what we did this year. And COVID just forced everyone's hand. And all of a sudden, you know, the people we've worked with, at least, they're like, oh, shit. 
we had like triple the amount of people join us. We raised as much during COVID as for fundraiser galas. We had opening nights that brought together actors that have been at our theater across the years. We um, found new audiences because like our shows are interpreted and captioned and people, there's a community of folks who have to, you know, need content like that. I mean, the list goes on and on Mm. people expanding their programming into other cities because of how widely the doors got open. So like, yeah, I think that it's getting harder to maintain the belief system that our industry had for a really long time around um, filmed stuff. Oh, absolutely. It's like, it's kind of a blessing of, of a terrible time that Mm -hmm. theater on screen has like exploded in the past year. What would you Mm -hmm. say to the people who are still resistant to the idea of digital theater? Well, I suppose that, you know, at the end of the day, centering live in-person theater as the ultimate like thing that I think should exist and be more valuable and that changes hearts and minds. I suppose that like digital theater is just not for everyone, you know, Um, but I, I just think the opportunities are so huge across so many different areas for theaters, not the least of which is just to de-risk your organization in the case that like something like this happens again. Mm. Um, but the artistic, like I, I find personally that the internet is like a natural extension of the theatrical spirit, right? It's like, you have this interactivity with the audience. It's a different language, but I don't know. You, you can tell stories in really incredible ways. I think there's so, it has so much in common with theater. I think there are so many incredible people out there making really incredible work that believe in the power of theater and, and find, see ways for it to be translated on screen. And then there's just all these bottom lines, right, that are the incredible opportunity of bottom lines where more people are involved with your work. We you know, the Guthrie, for instance, when you're working with them, they're like, I remember at the beginning of that production process, someone said to me from their institution, no one's going to watch this outside of Minnesota. And I was like, you are out of your mind. <laughs> you just you're wait and see. <laughs> it's the Guthrie theater. You matter so much to everyone in this industry. Mm-hmm. And of course it was thousands of people from all over the world that watched that gala last year. Um, and, uh, now, you know, they can consider having like people on their board that aren't in Minnesota, um, access to like new donors that they can grow, young donors that they can grow and cultivate, right? Into people who support their theater over their lifetimes. I, yeah. There's just too much opportunity, I think, to just say, like, I, I'm not into this. It's not theater. I'm, we're not doing this. Yeah. And it, like you were saying before, you know, venues have hundred seats, 200 seats, maybe a thousand seats, and then open it up to online. And it just, the numbers can grow exponentially because like you say, you have a worldwide audience. It's not just Minnesota. It's not just your town anymore. No, it's insane. And you know what? I think it's like, I'll use Paul Taylor as an example. So we've had the great fortune. I sort of can't believe it to have this incredible collaboration with the Paul Taylor dance company. And, um, like I've been to their opening nights at Lincoln center before um, because someone from my university was a company member for a couple of decades. 
and it's, you know, I don't know how many people the Coke theater holds, but only about 150 of them go to this very fancy dinner afterwards on opening night, right? That costs $50,000 and rubber chicken and you know, the whole <laughs> nine yards. And it's yeah. incredibly closed and it's an incredibly privileged group of folks who are all incredible. Do not get me wrong. Holy crap. They support the work of Paul Taylor. Like I am here for it. But what happens even when you take a gala and put it on a screen and open it up is that now all of a sudden Paul Taylor has almost 3000 people from across the world who joined us last year. Number one. So like anyone who's like been touched by Paul Taylor, been right. Seen them on tour. Uh, I don't know, danced in their company, whatever it is. Plus all those amazing folks that gathered at Lincoln center, they're all together. And the switch having to put a gala on a screen is that you have to tell a story. It can't just be speeches or people don't stay. Mm-hmm. So you, you make this like kind of interesting new art form out of it and you spend your money as an organization on telling your story and empowering and amplifying the voices of the people that your organization directly impacts. Um, and to me personally, like that's a work of art, right? That's a creative expression. And it's not just like, thank you to our sponsors, um, you know, speech, 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 honorary, honorary, right? We, like, I don't know. I just think it's a really cool switch. I want to take what you just said and bundle it up and send it to every organization as this is the future of what your galas need to look like. Because like I've been a part of organizations where I can't go to the gala. Like I'm a member of these organizations, but I like the the cost of going there is completely inaccessible to me. And I want to be a part of it too. I'm like, I'm, I'm part of the organization and like you say, switching it to online makes it so much more accessible and opens up the door. Oh my gosh. Yes. And online stuff is scalable. So like what ends up happening, we're working on a show right now um, that we'll be doing this fall, a couple of uh, like a monthly show at a really cool space in New York that is iconic for music. And 25 people are going to have the opportunity to be there in person, right? They're going to have a private dinner and all this stuff. And it's going to benefit another organization that I um, spend a lot of time supporting. And those tickets are expensive, right? Because there's only 25 of them. And we kind of like, eh, we're basically raising a dollar to spend a dollar with that Mm in-person cost. But then you add on the digital venue and this experience for a digital attendee. And you watch, you start in a like, you know, a spreadsheet calculator, putting the attendees up into the thousands. And then it's just like a switch. All of a sudden you've gone from basically zeroing out or just breaking even to raising out like 60, excuse me, 60% efficiency. It's in raising money. It's insane what you can do Mm. in the digital space. Um, And I know it's not accessible for everyone because like getting thousands of people into a digital venue is hard for smaller organizations. But um, I think there's a lot of, just a lot of potential there. And so doing good becomes good for business in some ways mm-hmm. too, you know, to what you were saying earlier. Mm-hmm. Mm, amazing that making it accessible and opening the doors makes it better. And Weird. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Goal is crazy, but. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> what do you think the future of digital theater looks like? Oh, man. <laughs> well, I know like, from our work that I believe that a lot of the stuff we've started to put into place, which is like you said at the beginning of this conversation, 
opening night premieres. Um, it's sort of the non-theater part of the theater, like all the stuff around it, galas, um, well, filmed musicals, right? Musicals that were always meant to be consumed on film. Um, sort of theatrical conferences, I'm thinking about, like we were talking to the Arts Northwest people, right? Where, where show, I forget how you call this, because um, I didn't really know about it before we talked to them, but like presenters go, right? And then this is where all the theaters pick the shows they're going to, be featuring on their seasons like that stuff being able to do that in a hybrid environment put it on screen I just think Mm. all of those things are going to grow and with the evolution of hopefully and this is you know part of what we're working on with all together now technology that's not so freaking expensive to use um, as it is right now um, I think that as that starts to come to fruition all of that gets a lot easier right and it's not such a, a gamble for a smaller theater to my earlier point to do something online that's fun for an, and really fulfilling for a digital attendee. Um, it's not such a gamble anymore where like right now it's just, it's pretty expensive. you got to really have a big, big crowd and um, a good amount of money uh, fiscally inside your organization to do the kind of stuff that we do. Um, on the theater side, I have to say like, I'm really excited to see what happens to that. That's not a fight I've ever wanted to fight because I'm a working member of SAG (laughs) and (laughs) equity. And like, I just like, we do not have the coffers or the institutional like structure or even the chutzpah to try to change those rules. Um, But I think there are people who are going to do it. I think there are some really smart, creative people um, sort of building on the the infrastructure that the Broadway HDs of the world, Broadway on Demand, have built for us. Mm. Um, and I think that, I think it will become easier, cheaper, and more exciting to be able to make theater like the National, right? Where it's kind of filmed for a theatrical experience and that more people will be a part of that live. Yes. And I, I see like a blending of what you're doing with um, All Together Now and Broadway Unlocked, where like like the National Theatre Films with, um, the, what is their program called? NT Life, um, mm-hmm. where you film a, a stage show, you could film a Broadway show or off-Broadway show or even regional productions, and you can incorporate like a pre-show, like mingling in the lobby kind of thing, but doing it yeah. virtually so that audiences from Australia and the UK and, and you know, Missouri can um, can interact digitally and then watch a live show. Yeah, that's exactly. So that's like the bulk of what we're doing over with all together now is I was talking, have you, I'm sure you have run into Jared Mazzocchi on the social medias. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. So much content. (laughs) Yeah. Very exciting. So I I jumped into a Twitter thread that he had started yesterday and um, I was saying like, he was asking for like, what are the biggest learnings? And for us that in this digital age, Mm -hmm. right. In this year for theater, theatrical or theater makers. And for us, the thing you were just talking about is, is it right. It's like, because we were making blended content almost a decade ago, like that was not our journey during this year. Right. We're like, cool. We know how to do this (laughs) and we know how to do it really well. And it's super fun. And now we get to try it like all remote, which is insane, but we'll do that too. And yay. (laughs) The problem we were biting off and the reason we created all together now in back last March was that with the give back concert, we had t- 
like I said, thousands of people watch. We we raised like a quarter of a million dollars for CVTC and some other organizations that do similar work. We get tens of thousands of views on all our videos we've cut apart afterwards. But at the end of the day, people only stayed to watch the live concert for about an average of 10 minutes, which is, and it's like a two hour concert, 90 minutes if you take away intermission. Yeah. Yeah. And that I think, I thought, I suspected at the beginning of this pandemic was because to be an audience member at the theater is so particular. There's nothing like spending a night at the theater and it's always had more to do with just like what's on stage, Mm. even if we didn't realize it. Right. Because like literally the, just the pure fact that our heartbeats sync up, like our physiology syncs up when we watch theater Mm. means something else is making it extraordinary for us besides for just what's on stage. And so with all together now, that was like the primary question that we asked is like, okay, the phones are ringing off the hook. Everybody wants a show because they've got to raise mostly galas and premieres. They've got to raise money. They've got to do their season. We know how to do that, but how do we get these people theater arts patrons in a digital door and how do we get them to feel like they got their money's worth? Cause we want them to pay to be there. And how do we get them to stay across two, three? We've had shows where people stayed for four freaking hours. Lisa, it's insane. Wow. <laughs> and the answer to that was exactly what you were talking about, which is that you have to create a space that has as much room for imagination as what you're showing on the screen. And then you start to get this nice translation of the theatrical experience of being at an in-person theater experience. Oh, absolutely. And it's like what you were talking about with the Kickstarter, that it's involving people so that they feel like they're part of the creation of the product. Yep. Which is a a must-have for the internet. That's like singular, I think, to the language of the internet. But it is what it is. It's not the same as theater. Like theater, we are, whatever it is about being in person at a theater event, it is enough for us to just sit, watch, and consume and have that like biology level give and take, I guess, communication mm. with what's on stage. But on the internet, the the version of that is it has to be interactive in some way. You have to feel seen as a digital audience member. You have to, I have to design something for you to feel the fact that you're part of something bigger than yourself, even if you're just sitting by yourself in your living room, being mm. a part of this, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's why like Twitter watch parties have become, you know, so prevalent that like there's this ability to, while you're watching, engage with other audience members and chat and like enjoy the show together. Yep. I think so too. I think mm. all the, all the products that are kind of, tackling that yeah I I agree and I think for us you know we just we have stumbled upon like how to make a venue that's really art specific right I mean it extends out beyond the arts I don't something like 40 percent of our customers this last year were non-arts but it's all made through the lens of like I'm a person who loves going to see in-person arts and what the heck do I need in my digital (laughs) space to make it feel as exciting to be there I love like Geffen Playhouse have done really cool mm, stuff where mm. they like send out kits and yeah. like, you get to interact with the show while while you're watching it. And there's like a physical totally. thing in your hand. <laughs> yeah, we had a really cool like it was too. I wish this wasn't so early in the pandemic. It was just too early 
to do it. But I had someone introduced me to Ohm Digital, which is the agency that does like all the experiential stuff around Fashion Week and the Emmys mm. and, you know, all this fancy stuff. And I had a couple of meetings with their creative team because they were trying to figure out, you know, where to go and what to do. And we got to talking about, so I think this was like March of last year. So literally the beginning, um, talking about like, like when you go to a Taylor Swift concert in the year before COVID, you got this little like um, wristband that pulsed light with mm. the audio mm. and everyone's like put on this light show. So we go, we were like, what if you sent smart light bulbs to people's homes where the curtain, right? The lights go down at curtain. Oh. Like there are all these incredible, cool things that you can do with technology to, yeah, give it that special, again, like with the goal of a digital audience member, not being a second, not feeling like a second class citizen, mm. feeling like they're a part of something. It just has to be a, a little bit of a different language, you know? Oh, this makes me so excited because there is um, there is research out of the UK that shows that audiences watching theater on screen can have just as much of an emotional response as someone sitting in the theater and pairing pairing like what you're talking about like creating these experiences and making the audience feel like they're a part of it like I love the idea I've I cannot believe that I've been watching digital theater like you know religiously over the past year and like you know I research film live musicals is my like my passion and it never occurred to me to like switch off the lights (laughs) and like (laughs) dim the lights at curtain and like sit in the dark like I just I'm just watching on my screen but like that is you know if you have like instructions for an audience or like um suggestions like a lot of theaters have been having like we suggest pairing this wine with this show like those kind of things but like how can you recreate or how can you you can never recreate the live experience but how can you how can you have some of those elements at home and the digital spaces that you're creating that's that's what makes me so excited is that like we we can kind of um we can create a new way of experiencing theater yeah that's that's exactly right because at the end of the day there's just this whole swath of folks who are never going to be able to come see whatever something in person right paul taylor let's just use paul taylor like or the guthrie like i don't live in minnesota I cannot go see shows at the Guthrie. So you are not losing me as an in-person customer. You're actually including me in something I never was going to be able to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing it well and you're making me feel like I'm a part of something as an audience member, you're making it very, very likely for me then to engage in person in the community I do live in. There was a, um, I have to find it for you, but um, Oh shoot. What is that podcast called? The, um, it starts with an I, I think it's a WNYC. I'll find it for you. But there was this podcast really early on, um, that did some studies and pe- uh, adults who interact with technology around theater are twice as likely to attend in person. Yeah. So it, it just creates this incredible ecosystem, right? Well, it's, I always use the analogy of sport, like putting sport on television did not kill in-person attendance. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and like the music industry, like, uh, yes, digital sales uh, killed album sales, but what went up instead? Concert tickets. Right, right. Because nothing's a vacuum, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, um, that's funny. We often use, because obviously a lot of conversations are around hybrid shows right now. Mm. Um, and 
that's where we came from. And we actually use sports really often um, to help people understand how to like creatively produce a hybrid show. It's like the Super Bowl. There are two producing teams on the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. There's the live producing team, the stage producing team, and there's the TV producing team. And that's exactly how, you know, we structure personally, we think about and structure hybrid theatrical experiences is you've got like, I don't know, famous insert famous Broadway director here who's definitely going to direct the 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 stage version of this, but then you hire the team that is digitally literate, right, to create the digital experience and it's just no different than football. <laughs> <laughs> but theater people, uh it's it's amazing the resistance that has been <laughs> Like oh I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad the pandemic has has shifted it. But wow, the the resistance to putting theater on screen is really frustrating. It's pretty nuts. It's and it it's one of those things that's like kind of my kryptonite actually, where it feels like when is going to be good enough? Like how much do we have to do to prove? And I don't mean just us, right? The you, Jared Mazzocchi's of the world, like all these folks who are like doing groundbreaking things how much do we have to prove before someone is like, Oh yeah, nope, this is good. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> we we got to think we're like, uh, like the guy that said like the Beatles will never last, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so true. You know, it's funny. We, in 2013, when we started doing this, a really good friend who owns an agency that works with like Amazon and Arby's and like all of these crazy um, companies and and they did our branding for us in the beginning and um i will never forget his piece of advice which was just you've got to run hard and you've got to run fast with this because it's a huge idea and someone's going to come up behind you with more resources and it's this you know first to market sort of effect they're going to totally kick your ass basically is what he said (laughs) and i kept waiting for it to happen and waiting for it to happen and waiting for it to happen. And I mean, it's 2021, 2020 before anyone ever really was like, huh, they must be up to something. It only took a global pandemic. <laughs> I know. Isn't that wild? Wow. <laughs> that it is wild. It's crazy. And but it's also exciting to think what, you know, as we start to open up again and more people get vaccinated, uh, that um what what the future holds. Oh yeah. It's so exciting. And it's like, it's interesting, I think, because it turns like the people we we were just talking about, the you's, the Jared's, the us's, we become a limiting factor in the future. Like the future of this is like not limited by the handful of people who are currently innovating, right? Because we'll, we'll be able to adopt technology and crowdsource ideas. And and there will be a tipping point at some point where everyone is sort of working in this field in some manner. And I'm really excited for that because like, while I think we've all done incredible things and, and really put the building blocks there for a far more accessible industry, imagine what happens when there's tons of creative brains on this, you know? (laughs) <laughs> that makes my heart flutter <laughs> yeah 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 me too oh this has been so much fun I have a series of quick questions for you that I ask all my guests so okay. uh you don't need to think about it too much whatever comes to <laughs> mind is good and there are no wrong Great. answers first okay. up what is your favorite musical the wild party uh Lacusa. <laughs> I was gonna say which version <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, do you have a favorite filmed live musical? No, I actually don't think I do. 
That's okay. Yeah, no, I don't have a favorite film live musical. So we have theater and we have uh, theater on film and it's, um, you know, everyone acknowledges that theater on film is not quite theater and, but it's not exactly a film either. So what should we call it? Theater on film. Oh my God. Well, uh, I don't know what, uh, what I think about it, but I do have a friend who's starting to work in this um, field and they're calling it cine theatrics, I think, which I really like. Oh, I like that too. Mm-hmm. Where do you stand on bootlegs? Uh, they're not killing anybody, and they just help spread the word and make people excited about theater. I'm into mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. What do you wish had been filmed? Uh, <laughs> here, speaking, I'll combine your two questions together. I actually really desperately wish that Carrie had not just been bootlegged. Uh-huh. Like, there's that, like, one, you know, the one film where you can kind of see half of, like, all the cheerleaders, <laughs> like, kicking their faces. And it makes me so sad that I cannot see that original production, like, properly filmed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I Was it filmed ever? I don't think the original, no, not the original production, right? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't think so. Don't, I'm, I'm not aware if it has so. been filmed. No. It's a, mm. it's a real loss for the American musical theater. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I could go on for days about what we don't have captured and that like so much of our history has, has just been lost. It's, it's not there anymore. I know. Uh, and we've talked about this a lot, but what would you like to see filmed in the future? I would love, there are so many people working on using screens as an entry point for new work, like a a lower barrier to entry entry point for new work, Mm -hmm. right? So where we don't have to depend on gatekeepers to be able to amplify work that will just be allowed to speak for itself. And so like, I just, I want to see some of those win and succeed and be able to be like consistent, dependable pipelines of filmed musical work from new writers. Yes, please. <laughs> Where can we find you online, Jess? Oh my gosh, everywhere. Just everywhere. <laughs> uh, my my handle is Jessica Ryan NYLA, like New York, Los Angeles, almost everywhere. So that's pretty easy. Um, Broadway Unlocked is always, if you're into talking about theater and technology and accessibility and gatekeeping and breaking down gates. Broadway Unlocked socials are where you want to be. Um, we're at Broadway Unlocked on everything but Twitter, which has a shorter case count. So it's <laughs> at BWY Unlocked. And we're on Clubhouse. I think you mentioned that. We have a conversation every Tuesday at um, 1 p.m. Eastern time. And it's pretty awesome. People from the UK, the United States, Canada, all over, theater makers from all over come together each Tuesday on Clubhouse to talk about uh, the news of the week and technology and theater. So we're very frequently talking about this stuff. You should come and join us. I I have to say I was um, hesitant about Clubhouse. And then when I I saw that you were having these weekly chats, I was like, okay, I will join. (laughs) (laughs) I I can guarantee you our room is good. good. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Jess. This has been so much fun and very inspiring. Thank you so much for joining me today. This has been incredible. Thank you. My pleasure. Filmed Live Musicals makes musical theater more accessible, brings joy, and creates a sense of connection for audiences around the world. 
with thanks to patrons Josh Brandon, Elliot Charles, Rachel Esteban, Mercedes Esteban Lyons, James T. Lane, Al Monaco, David Negrin, Jesse Rabinowitz and Brenda Goodman, David and Catherine Rabinowitz, and Beck Twist for being a part of spreading the love of musical theatre. If you would like to join, you can do so by becoming a Filmed Live Musicals patron. For as little as $3 a month, you'll receive early access to the Filmed Live Musicals podcast, early access to site content, and a weekly newsletter with info on upcoming streams. Visit patreon.com forward slash musicals on screen to learn more. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Thanks for listening.